some of the greatest moments, some of the most memorable, most special times that you'll have will be around the table. With your family, friends, people that you care about, people that care about you. If you'll think about your life, if you'll kind of reminisce a little bit. So many of the memories we have center around the table and what happens there. Last week, Pastor Eric, our uh, executive pastor brought the first message of this series, and he did a beautiful job at the beginning of his message, kind of painting a picture for what happens around the table. The conversations, the things we learn about one another, how we connect, the, the serious moments, the lighthearted moments, announcements that are made, information you learn, news that is shared, simply the most pivotal moments often happen around the table. Last week, we also learned that it was around the table setting that Jesus communicated so clearly what and who he valued so much. Specifically, those that were not valued by culture, even the religious culture of the day. Jesus made a clear point around the table based upon who he welcomed, who he spent time with, who he invested around the table. And today what we're going to do is talk about how still at the table, Jesus explained the big shift that occurred in God's plan and God's mission on earth. The big shift that had everything to do with what was going on then and has everything to do with what's going on today. Because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, the shift that occurred at the cosmic, spiritual, eternal level, but yet at a very practical level. And some of you might be thinking, well, okay, well, that sounds interesting and all, but man, I got problems in life. I got issues going on. I got stuff happening. I, I need something to help me. I need something to make my life better, something to make my life easier. What you got for me? How's that going to help me? Well, to be honest, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is not one of those kinds of sermons or pastor talks that suddenly makes your life real simple and easy and, oh, my problems are, are so much better now. I, I know what to do with my life. Mm -mm. But I'll tell you this, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is so important for you to understand because it does impact you. It impacts you in more ways than you might have thought. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is so important for you to understand. I hope in the next few minutes, the boundaries that you have previously set in your mind for who Jesus is and what he came to do, I hope those boundaries are pushed out much farther than you currently have them set. Matter of fact, I hope you just kind of take them down because if you'll open your mind and your heart to what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes, I think you'll understand just how much bigger and broader and greater what Jesus came to do is than you ever thought possible. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure, this is a great opportunity for you to kind of understand things that maybe up until this point you haven't known or haven't understood. 
And perhaps the light's going to come on in a new way for you. You're going to like, well, that makes sense. I understand now why Christians, and you'll fill in the blank. I understand now why at a church they do certain things. So this is so pivotal. As we talk about in the next few minutes, the greatest table. And the greatest table I propose to you is the communion table. The communion table that we find in the first century being set on the night before Jesus was crucified. The setting of the communion table is the Last Supper. The last time Jesus would would eat and share a meal with his closest followers, his disciples. What occurred at that table is what makes it the greatest table. And when we, as we will in just a little bit, observe and share communion together, we are referring back to and celebrating what happened at that first communion table, which makes it the greatest table that Jesus ever set and ever shared. There at the Last Supper with his followers. We often refer to that night as the Lord's Supper. Uh, Depending upon your religious background and your religious experience, maybe how you grew up, you might refer to this as the Eucharist. Here at the summit, we often refer to it simply as communion, where we take bread that represents symbolically the body of Christ, and, and we take wine or juice, which symbolically represents the blood of Christ, and we eat and we drink to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. It's a symbol of remembrance. No, the bread is not literally becoming the body and the the wine, the juice is not literally becoming the blood. It's a symbol. Yet it's so much more than a routine and it's so much more than a ritual. And any time, this is so important, any time we allow this to become simply a routine or simply a ritual and we allow the meaning to get lost and what it's really all about, and we do a disservice to what Jesus did for us and what he has called us to do as a result. There's so much more, so much more happening around the communion table, the greatest table than any of us can imagine. So much more than the disciples knew at that moment. Most of what Jesus said on that night at the Last Supper, and he said so much, so much was taught. But most of what he said went right over their heads. Probably it took them a long time, maybe even years to unpack fully what Jesus was talking about in those moments. And even still to this day, you and I are still unpacking everything Jesus said and what it meant and how it impacts our lives. And so we're going to touch on just a little bit of that in the next few minutes. But even then, we're only going to be scratching the surface because there is still so much mystery around what Jesus said when he talked about the body and he talked about the blood and he talked about the unity that that brings to us. So what I want to do in the next few moments is help us talk about this shift that Jesus was referring to. Communicate to us the shift that that Jesus highlighted. In fact, I want to try to present it in a couple different ways. First of all, the thing that Jesus talked about, and again, we'll, we'll talk about how this impacts our lives. Just hang with me. What Jesus was talking about there in this big shift was a shift from the temple to the table. A shift from temple thinking to table thinking. And let me explain that. 
Up until that point in the first century, religious activity, especially if you were a Jew, was all focused on what happened at the temple in Jerusalem. All of your holy days tied to the temple somehow. The sacrifices that you would offer in worship of God was something you would do at the temple. And up until that point, it was all about going to the temple, going to the temple. What Jesus was talking about there as he met with his disciples was things were changing. There was a shift happening. From a focus on the temple to a focus on being gathered around a table. And by the end of the first century, the shift had completed itself, had had been completed. By the end of the first century, there was no more temple because the Romans destroyed the temple in AD 70. And functional Judaism, as it had been known up to that point, was over because the temple had been destroyed. And so by the end of the first century, we find Jesus' followers not rushing off to a temple to observe their holy days and offer sacrifices. We found them time and time again gathering around tables to celebrate what Jesus had done for them. The shift from the temple to the table is a shift from focusing on a holy building to a holy body. You see, up until that point, it was all about the building. It was all about a building that you would go to. And this is the house of God. And and now things had shifted to where people are holy. People are sacred. In fact, Paul the apostle would write that your body is the temple now. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And so the shift, oh, it's a clear shift. It's no longer about going to this holy building. It's about now the holiness of being brothers and sisters in Christ, a part of the family of God, children of God, and something now holy is happening between us. It was a shift from building to body. People are now sacred. People are now holy. It's no longer about a holy building. It's a shift from religion and all of its rules to relationship. That's what the temple to the table was all about. We're no longer focused on a religion and all of its rules, and we'll talk about more of that in a minute, but now it's about relationship. See, in religion, what religion is really about, it's about you and God, any religion. You and God as you understand God, whatever the religion is. It's really about making sure you're good with the guy upstairs. Whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, or even disconnected Christianity. If you see Christianity as just a religion, people get involved in religion because they want to make sure that everything's good between them and God. But see, Jesus came to communicate a shift that it was no longer going to be about just religion. Now it was about relationship. It was no longer just about you and God and are you good with God and is God good with you? Now you suddenly have to be concerned because Jesus said this is the way it's gonna be about me and you and you and me and you and them and them and you and the relationship we have between each other because there's something holy here, not just something holy here. And our relationships with each other greatly affect our relationships now with God. It was a shift from the what to the who, really. 
Jesus also communicated that this shift was no longer just about places and spaces. It was about a gathering of faces. It was no longer just about a holy place to go to, a holy space that you want to make sure that you are in. No, now it's about a gathering of faces, of people, and somehow that is holy. And what's interesting about that is you can't destroy that. The temple, the holy place, the holy space was destroyed. Now what do they do? Now what do you do? Well, now it's a gathering of faces. It's people. And so wherever and however people gather, whether in a building or in homes, joining us online from wherever you are, there's something holy about that. Isn't that something that's come home to us in a very vivid way during these COVID pandemic months? Wherever and however we gather, that is what is holy. So Jesus came to call his followers to a table, not send them to a temple. Jesus came to call his followers to a table to gather in his name, remembering what he has done for them. It was a shift from temple to table. But here's where it impacts us even more. Not only was it a shift, what Jesus came to do and what he was communicating at that last supper table, if you read all the things that he was communicating, he was also communicating a shift from exclusive to inclusive. A shift from exclusivity to inclusivity. Because this is huge. It's something that you and I may miss right now and it may not be that big to us in the moment, but if we were living back then in the first century, nothing would have been more clear to us. In fact, it was what made what Jesus taught so controversial, even scandalous, is that somehow he was tearing down the walls of religion and exclusivity and keeping people out and making it a welcoming thing, bringing people to his table. You see, religion, all religion really, is designed to be exclusive, every religion. You fill in the blank, whatever religion it is. If you think about all the rules, there's certain things you have to think. There's certain things you have to believe, regardless of what religion it is. There's certain things you have to do, and there's certain things you don't do. And there's certain ways you have to live and behave. And sometimes there's, there's certain days you have to do certain things on, and certain days you have to do other things on, regardless of what religion it is. It's designed pretty much to be exclusive. And if you play by the rules, you're in. And if you don't, you're out. And the religion is designed pretty much as a barrier, kind of like a fence, to keep the people that play by the rules in and keep the people that don't out. Just look at the, Judaism, the Jewish religion of the Old Testament. Even though it was something that God gave his people, he gave it to his people for a purpose, to teach them a lesson, to teach the world a lesson. The Mosaic law is so strict. The Mosaic law, all these rules, all these do's and don'ts, and nobody could keep it. That was the whole point. Jesus gave them, I mean, God gave them a religion to help them understand that they needed more than a religion. They needed a savior. They needed specifically a Messiah. Jesus. And that's why Jesus came. He came to help the world see you cannot get it done with religion. Religion is about exclusivity. If you follow the rules and nobody could follow all the rules, so we're all out. And yet we pretend to be religious. 
And so Jesus came to shake all that up. And what Jesus did is not, he didn't come to build higher fences in the world of religion. No, he came to build a bigger table. Jesus came to build a bigger table, not a higher fence. You know, by nature and conditioning, you and I tend to build small tables and high fences. That you can be at my table if you live like me, look like me, think like me, believe like me, vote like me, do life like me. But if you're not like me, and I don't like you, then you have to stay out. That, that's what religion does, is it keeps people out. The people that are not like us and the people that we don't like. But see, Jesus, fascinating in this. Jesus' reputation was established by the people he welcomed to the table. He was called, as we saw last week, the guy who eats with sinners. He eats with sinners. <gasps> and we don't even know what that means. We think, we think when Jesus was said that he eats with sinners is that he eats with people who commit sin. No, it was bigger than that. Of course he eats with people who commit sin. Everybody commits sin, so even the Pharisees would admit, well, yeah, well, no, nobody's perfect. That's not what they were saying. When they indicted Jesus and in, tried to insult Jesus publicly by saying he eats with sinners, what they were saying is he eats with those that have been excluded by our rules, excluded by the law, the ones that have been kicked out. You see, Jesus made it clear. He includes those that religion kicks out. Jesus includes people that religion kicks out. In, in, in my experience growing up, when it came to communion in the churches I grew up in, in the religious system that I inherited, and, and maybe you have something similar, it was very exclusive, it's especially when you came to the moment of celebrating communion. We were told, we were told that it was only for Christians. In, in a horrible misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 11 was used to support that. That's talking about it all. We were told that only Christians could be a part of this. And you need to be a Christian with your heart right. You don't just have to be a Christian. You really need to, you really need to have your ducks in a row when it comes to you know, spiritual things. Because don't. You just don't need to participate. This is not for you. Just, just the way we observe communion was an exclusive thing. It's only for Christians and only for good Christians at that. Well, Here's what I've come to learn. That's not what Jesus was communicating either. It wasn't an exclusive thing. It was very inclusive. How do you know? Well, let's just look at the people that Jesus welcomed to his table. In that last supper, the very first communion, who did Jesus give the bread and the wine to? Who did Jesus bring around the table? Well, let's talk about it for a moment. There was a guy there. You've heard of him. I'm no, I know you've heard this guy. Guy there by the name of Judas. Judas Iscariot. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've probably heard of Judas. You know Judas? The guy that just hours from that moment would betray Jesus with a kiss. And here's the kicker. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew it. And Judas knew he was going to betray Jesus. 
He had already set up the rendezvous point, the meeting place. He had already had it all scheduled. And Jesus broke the bread and gave it to Judas. Would you welcome someone to your table that you knew was about to betray you? Me? Probably not. Probably not. Well, at least they wouldn't be offered dessert. Right? There was another guy there at the table talking about how inclusive this is, how inclusive this is. That Jesus came to, he, he just keeps building a bigger table. A guy named Peter. Peter was bold and brash and very vocal. They had just had this conversation before dinner. They had just had this conversation and Peter was like, Jesus, I am with you all the way. You keep talking about this thing that you're gonna die. Jesus, I'll die with you. You won't be alone, Jesus. Jesus like, Peter, come on, man. Before the rooster crows in the morning, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. And Jesus broke the bread and gave it to Peter and shared the cup of wine with him, included Peter. Would you include someone that you knew was about to deny you, turn their back on you, walk away from you, pretend like they didn't even know who you were? I wouldn't. You probably wouldn't. A lot going on here. There was another, another, there's brothers, James and John. James and John, just a few days before this moment, had gotten into this big argument about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who was going to be greater? And their mom put them up to it. Mom was like, hey, I want my boys. I want my boys. I want my boys to be up there, Jesus. Come on. Or, Or at least, wait, they put their mom up to it. That's the way it was. They put their mom up to it and said, we don't want to ask you this. They were arguing back and forth among themselves. I said, mom, could you go ask him? He can't say no to a mom, right? Hey, Jesus, what about my boys? Can you imagine? They're jockeying for position. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And now, here they are, and Jesus could have easily been like, ah, these guys don't get it. They don't get it. They're all about themselves. You're not welcome until you get your heart straightened out. No, Jesus brought them to the table with their self-centered hearts. There was another guy there by the name of Thomas. Thomas wouldn't be all that famous until about three days later when the disciples had heard Jesus has risen from the dead and they began to believe it. Thomas was a late adapter to that information and Thomas was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I won't believe it until I can see it, until I can touch him, until I can, yeah, I don't know. So Jesus broke the bread and gave it to a guy named Thomas that Jesus knew was gonna doubt that his resurrection was the real deal. Poor Thomas, he gets a bad reputation, I think. How would you like a nickname for your worst moment, right? But he was welcome to the table. And and the guy we talked about last week, we won't need to go into detail because we talked about it last week, Matthew, tax collector. And back then, this was not like an honorable thing. This was a dishonorable job. He was crooked, he was dishonest, and and Jesus had him right there at the table. You see, Jesus, again, included those religion kicks out. Jesus included people that you and I often kick out, that the church often kicks out, that religion kicks out, that our system 
kicks out. Jesus made it clear, sinners are welcome to sit with God around a table and share a meal. Which means that this first communion table was so much more than just the bread and the wine. This communion table represented so much more than just Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. What did it mean? Where does it go from here? I think it sends a strong message. And what the communion table communicates, not just back then, but even to us today, is simply this. All are welcome at the table with Jesus. All are welcome. Because of Jesus' body and blood that he sacrificed for us, all are welcome to come to God. All are welcome to know God. All are welcome to be close to God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done through Jesus and in Jesus and by Jesus and because of Jesus. All are welcome. So you, you, don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You're right, I don't. But Jesus does. Have a problem with betraying people? You've been dishonest? Are you full of yourself and your pride? There's... Jesus welcomes you to the table. With all of your mess, with all of your shortcomings, with all of your issues, Jesus says, all are welcome. And he illustrated it by welcoming those guys to the table. Jesus literally came to set the table for the world to come to God through him. The world, not just one group of people. Now it started with one group of people, the people of Israel, but he started with one group of people so that he could show the entire world. And towards the end of his ministry, one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples is, fellas, I want you to go now. I want you to go to all the world. The word there in the Greek is really ethne. It's where we get our word ethnicity. Go into all people groups, every nation. It's so fascinating that in the book of Revelation, John when God gave him a vision of the future, he said, and I saw people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue, every. So it started with one group, but it went worldwide and still is worldwide. Jesus came to set the table for the world to come and dine with God. Here's the deal. If everyone is welcome, then who are we to refuse anybody? Who are we to refuse anyone? If God says all are welcome to come to the table with Jesus, then who are we to say, no, not you, not you. Oh, you gotta jump through the hoops. No, what Jesus did when he gave his life on the cross is he took the hoops away. There are no more hoops. When Jesus says it is finished, all the details were taken care of. The table has been set. In fact, everyone has a seat at the table. Get this, let this sink in. Everyone, 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 which leaves out no one, everyone has a seat at the table. There is a place set for every single person with a name card at their place setting with their name on it. Jesus has made it so. And yet there's so many empty seats at Jesus' table. So many empty seats. Imagine if everybody knew. See, here's the deal. People 
on the outside of religion and the reason they're on the outside is they think they're not welcome in. Well, what they don't know is that we're not here to push a religion anyway. We're here to talk about a relationship with their creator through Jesus, who has made it clear that all are welcome. And so maybe you have friends, maybe you have family, maybe you work with people, or maybe you yourself, you've always assumed, well, that stuff's not for me. That's not for me. I, I'm not welcome there on that. that Cause I don't do this and I don't do that. And I don't believe that. And I don't vote like, and I don't behave like, and you know, I'm not welcome. Oh, you could not be more wrong. You could not be more mistaken. What if everybody knew that everyone was welcome to the table? that there's room for everybody, that Jesus has set a place at the table for every single person. Imagine if everybody knew. And and listen, church, that's our job to tell them. That's our job to show them, to create environments, to to create places and spaces, even though it's no longer just about places and spaces, it's about faces. But to help every face know there is a place and a space for them around the table. What if they knew? I think it would change the way people but see and understand what Jesus came to do for them. That's our job. It's our mission is to help people find their place, help people find their seat at the table. So when we share communion, that's what this means. Among other things, it's bigger than just remembering what Jesus did. It's about knowing what Jesus did means. And I'm telling you, we're just scratching the surface. We've been unpacking that night for 2000 years and we ain't done yet. It was that big. The shift that Jesus came to communicate for us. When you came in, we gave you one of these. I'm gonna go ahead and take that out, a little portable communion cup. For those of you that are joining us online, you wanna gather bread, crackers, wine, juice, whatever you have there with you. And let's begin to prepare our hearts for this, for this remembering moment. There's a little film at the very top that peels back and there's a wafer in there that symbolically represents the body of Christ. Then there's a foil film that peels back. You'll see the juice there represented by the blood of Jesus. Let's have a moment of prayer. Let's take some time. Let's take a few moments of silence but only because you need the place and the space to pray. You you need to prepare your hearts. I need to prepare mine. We need to prepare our minds out of gratitude and worship. You see, this building is not holy, but what's happening in this building is holy because you are holy. You are sacred. And what Jesus did for us and what it means is holy. So let us gathering here and all of you gathering wherever you are, 
take a few moments to prepare our hearts for this holy, sacred moment together. Father, we thank you for welcoming us to your table, for building a bigger and bigger and bigger table, not being concerned with the fences of religion. Thank you for welcoming us as we are messed up issues, questions and doubts, betrayals, denials, selfishness, and all. You welcome us to come to you. And it is in you we find forgiveness and healing and hope, redemption, restoration. And it's all a gift from you through Jesus. May everyone here and everyone that's joined us online know that they are welcome because of Jesus. We all still need the Savior. Thank you for what you have done for us and for what you have done for us with your death, burial, and resurrection, for what it means. Thank you for the shift that we no longer have to pilgrimage to a temple, that we can gather around a table like this, a gathering of faces. And this is holy and this is sacred because you inhabit this with your spirit. Thank you for the shift from exclusive to inclusive, which means we're included. And help us to help others know that there's a seat for them too because of you. Thank you for this moment that we share together in Jesus' name. Amen. We read the words of Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our Father, once again, we thank you for what you did and what it means. And for 2,000 years, your people have been reflecting and we're learning more and more 
and our understanding is growing and growing and the boundaries of what we thought we knew and what we thought we understood is being pushed further and further out because what you came to do is so much bigger and better and greater than we could imagine. Thank you that it is includes us. And may we remember, may we remember that we're not the only ones. And help us to help those around us know they are also welcome. And may we never forget what you have done for us. And may, may we live as though we haven't forgotten. May we live our lives in remembrance. In Jesus' name.